0: Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. I was kind of joking with Kaylee yesterday as we were, you know, kind of just prepping for this morning, and I was like, you know, I have no idea what church is going to look like tomorrow, quite honestly. Like, I, I really don't know. Like you know, it's the day, it's New Year's Day, so there's that whole component, which, you know, as a pastor, you kind of just expect there to be a little a little bit of, uh, you know, difference. And then we have a talent show, and then, you know, let's toss an earthquake on top of it. And, um, you know, it's, it's really anybody's guess what you're going to get today. So, uh, <laughs> um, but in all seriousness, as I was kind of thinking about what what do we talk about in the new year right what what are we considering what are the the things that we we think about in the new year and a question just kind of kept coming to mind and this question was where are you going and as a parent sometimes that's a question that you ask children where are you going <laughs> and and that, that's a, a very specific point, right, of like, why are you walking this way? I asked you to walk that way. Where are you going? Um, so there's that type of question. But then as an adult, that question comes up from time to time as well, right? Either it's the deep existential question of where am I going in this universe? Um, or sometimes I, like my child, need to be reminded of, like, where am I going? Um, a great example of that. Yesterday, I went to Hell'sport and I was swimming in their pool, and so I was swimming for like 90 minutes. It was a long swim, and I got out and I was tired, and I knew that I had some specific places that I needed to go to, and I started driving, and I found myself on the complete other side of Eureka from where I actually intended to go, and I was like, and I literally stopped and asked myself where am I going? <laughs> and I guess I just wasn't really thinking about what, what was going on. So I redirect and get to where I needed to go, right? And so if we're going to be considering this question of where are we going, there is a particular character in the Bible, a particular person in the Bible that, that seems fitting for us to, to take a look at this morning. Um, we're going to read Genesis 16 real quick says, now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she, so she said to Abram, the Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarah said. And so after Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years, Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think is best. And then Sarah mistreated Hagar so that she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert, and it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, "Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from, and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai." She answered. And then the angel of the Lord told her, "Go back to your mistress and submit to her." The angel added, "I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count." The angel of the Lord also said to her, "You are now pregnant, and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. He." Had, his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all his brothers. She gave, this name, she gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well, called, the well was called Bir Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram. A son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. So Abram is one of the, the central characters of the, the Old Testament. We we oftentimes see him as the, the father of three different. Uh, specific religions, right we have Judaism, we have Islam, and we have Christianity. All three of those uh, find Abraham in their kind of midst. Um, after God created the heavens and the earth, there was a fall Adam and Eve. Made choices. They stepped away from God. They introduced sin into the world. There was a fall, and eventually, the state of the world became so corrupt that Noah was introduced. That a flood came. The 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 start over. The do over of the earth uh, was initiated. But even Noah and his descendants themselves began to to be infected by sin. So God comes down to this old. Childless pagan couple Abraham and Sarah in ancient Mesopotamia and promises them that they're going to have a child and you may have noticed this is kind of keeping with the theme of the past few weeks of there, there being a promise of a child and from that child will, will come a rescuer from the, the child, from Abraham and Sarah, will, will be a rescuer to put things back, to, to make things right. That through that child, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed, that the world will be healed, this issue of sin will be dealt with. Genesis 16 happens 10 years after God made that promise. 10 years of waiting. Ten years of wandering around in the wilderness. Ten years. That's a lot. Ten years of infertility. Hagar is the the first of a long line of biblical characters that we see, that we meet, who experience God in the wilderness. Moses met God in the wilderness. The nation of Israel was with God in the wilderness. Elijah met God in the wilderness. John the Baptist was in the wilderness. Jesus spent time in the wilderness. The wilderness is kind of where things seem to happen in the Bible. And almost every story of someone going out into the wilderness and meeting God, the the, Enter encounters that take place in the wilderness are identity forming. They, they shape who that person is, who they, who they become. Where do you come from is the question that gets asked. And where are you going? Let's put ourselves in Hagar's shoes for just a second. She's presumably dead to her family, her place of origin, her history, all of those things, none of that matters anymore. She's a slave. She's human property of another person and has no rights or decision-making power over her life. She doesn't get her own choices. Even her own body is something that she has no control over. She's an Egyptian She's a woman, she's a slave, an outsider according to her ethnicity, according to her gender, according to her social class. Really, nothing is going for her right now. She was seen by her her master as really only having utility in that she could have a kid, she could have a child. She was a means to an end. She was never anything worth considering. Now, it's important to pause for a minute. Does the Bible condone slavery? Does the Bible condone abusive treatment of women? Does the Bible condone polygamy? No. These are people. People make bad choices. There's sin that exists in the world. Sometimes if we, when we look at the Bible, there are, are rules, there are prescriptive texts is kind of the official word. And that's the, this is the stuff you should do. This is, you know, let's use the Ten Commandments as an example. That's a prescriptive text. And then there's other texts that are called descriptive texts that are just giving a narrative. They're saying, this is what happened. And this is what happened. This, Good or bad, this is what happened. And so in Genesis 16, we see this descriptive story of this treatment of Hagar that is, is terrible. That, that not only is it terrible, it brings about generations of heartache that we're even seeing today. And so, in order to understand how Hagar ends up in the wilderness, we have to first consider the, the dynamic that exists between Sarah and Hagar, right? Sarah was the mistress. She was superior. And so, she had absolute power over Hagar, Hagar, even to the point of having absolute power and control over Hagar's womb. Hagar was the slave, The culture that these women found themselves in was very much focused on you are only good if you can have a child, if you are able to bear a child, if you are able to care for your family, if you are able to raise a family. That is that is the only thing that that culture focused on for a woman. And so in Sarah's case, she had been given a promise that not only was she going to have a child that child was going to be the savior of the world that through that child was going to come the savior of the world that's a lot of pressure when after 10 years of trying you haven't been able to have a child So not only do you have all of your neighbors talking about how you can't have a kid, not only do you have this promise from God hanging over you saying, man, it seems like I'm supposed to have one, but I haven't been able to yet. You now have your own self-doubt. And so Sarah starts coming up with some other plans. Maybe we can use Hagar. Hagar. She tries to, to deal with the, the problem by using Hagar. And so what she comes to discover after Hagar has conceived a child is that her best effort, her, her best idea is leaving her feeling deflated. She's, she's feeling even more worthless than she did before. And Hagar begins to f- start feeling inferior or superior. The tables have turned. Now, Hagar is seeing her mistress with contempt. Sarah is insecure. There's all of this back and forth that's happening. and, And through all of this, you can bet Sarah's starting to wonder, maybe this wasn't the best way. And from the outsider looking in with the the luxury of history on our side, it's easy to look at this interaction and be like, well, of course that wasn't ever going to work. Abraham, what were you doing? Did you really think it was going to work that when your wife gives you the slave to sleep with? Like, that's a trap, dude. But our modern world really hasn't moved beyond making decisions like that, taking matters into our own hands to try and and force God's hand, to try and, and bring about a promise that maybe just isn't ready yet. The modern world hasn't moved beyond assigning people's value and identity based on their achievements, based on their performance. But then we eventually see that there's this mistreatment that takes place that, that drives Hagar out of, the, out of the camp, out of the tribe, and she goes out into the wilderness. And when she's out in the wilderness, she has this interaction with the angel of the Lord. And the angel of the Lord speaks to her and specifically tells her what her child's name should be. And this is interesting. If you start looking at the Bible, there's a very small number of times Where God names the child before they're ever born. Very small. It's six or seven. We have Ishmael, we have Isaac, Solomon, Josiah, Cyrus is named, and John the Baptist. Those are all pretty important people. Those people, some are kings. All of those people went on to to shape history in amazing ways. Excuse me, the seventh was Jesus. He was on my next page, sorry. (laughs) Kind of important as well. (laughs) Yeah. In almost all of these instances, these babies are, are royalty or princes. And God names Ishmael and he says that Up to this point, everyone who has seen you, who has interacted with you, you have only been noticed for your utility. You have only been noticed for what you can do, what your best efforts are as a slave. But here is God, the creator of the universe, speaking to her, saying that he sees her as something different. Again, the, the list of names that are are noted here that have been named by God for children that are in the womb, mostly royalty. I see you as royalty. I mean, that that could be a a very clear understanding of, of what's being shared. What would that be like if that was what was shared when you've been living with that stigma, that title of slave for however long that, that's been something in her life. And it's, it's interesting because as we look at this interaction, this story in this chapter, in this meeting with God, Hagar turns out to be the most free person that we see. She Becomes the most free person that we see. Hagar discovers a a master who is not going to exploit her, like Abraham and Sarah were, who's not going to abuse her, and who's not going to oppress her. And it's interesting because a lot of times when we think about freedom, many times we think about freedom to mean that there's no limitations, that there's, there's no limits that exist. There's no constraints to be free from authority. All of those things, that, that's what we think about when we think about freedom most often. But that idea of freedom doesn't really work well. Freedom isn't the absence of authority, but choosing what freedoms we're, we're going to give up you will never experience the the freedom of intimate, committed love unless you sacrifice some of your autonomy and independence. You have to give those things up in order to to have the freedom of that love. And so it's choosing which things we, we give up to receive that freedom. And so in this meeting that takes place in the wilderness, Hagar meets someone who loves her. God meets Hagar in an accessible way. He doesn't say, "Hey, I need you to like cross over these 10 rivers before you can actually have an interaction with me." No, he, he comes and he meets her in the wilderness. He calls her by name. He knows who she is. He gives asks her a question. He says, "Hey, go here and do this thing." He says, "Where are you going?" "Where are you going?" He invites her into conversation and God starts by listening to, to what she has to say. And so in this interaction, we start seeing Hagar is discovering her freedom even more so than than Sarah or Abraham were experiencing because they were were struggling with how do we make this promise happen on our own? How do we bring this about? And yet, Hagar is, is recognizing that God is looking out for me. In the midst of, of all of the abuse that I'm, I'm receiving, in the midst of the, the lack of control that I have over anything about me, God is still on his throne, is still caring for me. How could Hagar know for sure that this God that she meets in the wilderness, that this God of Abraham wasn't going to manipulate her, wasn't going to exploit her like everybody had so far. The way that we we know is that Hagar is is explaining is talking about this angel of the Lord, and so the the angel of the Lord, as we've talked about before, is oftentimes um, many theologians think the the pre incarnate uh, form of Jesus before Jesus was born. We we see Jesus as the angel of the Lord, and so this is what his physical form was prior to being uh, born in Bethlehem. And so Hagar is responding to this blessing that she receives from the angel of the Lord, and she, she gives a name. She gives a name to God, and she says, the God sees me. El Roy is the R-O-I, the God who sees me. That, that is the, the name of God that she applies. And so if we look at this interaction that the God who sees has with Hagar, we we know that God came to another woman, right? He came to Mary. And He made another promise that she would bear a son and that that son's name wouldn't be Ishmael, that God hears your your affliction, that God's aware of your affliction, but that his name would be Emmanuel. It would be not just hearing about your, your problems, but it would be God with us, God in the midst of your problems, in the midst of your trials. Jesus was never content to just hear about suffering. He wanted to enter into it. Jesus gave up his freedom so that we could experience the ultimate freedom, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, from people's evaluations of us so that he could become the master who would forgive Jesus is the God who not only sees us or notices us, but who dies for us. So this morning, as we look forward into this new year, into this new season, it seems fitting for us to stop and ask the question, where am I going? For many of us, that question hasn't been considered in some time, and so Maybe you, you may be like me and you find you look up and you find yourself on the other side of Eureka and you say, Wow, we need to maybe reevaluate what's going on here. God has plans. He has plans for our life, He has plans for, for where we're to go. And those plans typically aren't kept a secret. Maybe we don't get all the details that we wish we had, but God gives direction. Through the prompting of the Holy Spirit, God gives direction and, and guidance to us through, as we go through our lives. Does that mean that everything is going to come about right now, right, right this moment? According to Abraham, probably not. He's waiting 10 years, and he still hasn't seen the fulfillment of that promise. But what we do know is that God is faithful. God, we want to be a people that is submitted to your will this day. And every single day of this coming year, Lord, you are a God who sees me and we are so thankful for that. But God, not only do you see me, you are also a God who is with me. What a blessing. God, as we prepare to move to the communion table, as we consider a sacrifice that was made. As we consider the ultimate gift, God, we thank you. God, we thank you that you made a way for us to be with you for all of eternity, and we take this time as we move into this new year to to commemorate that, to remind ourselves of that, to to bring that back afresh that while we were still sinners you died for us dad if you can pass the communion out please The scripture that we come to so often in when we're celebrating, when we're participating in communion is this scripture from 1 Corinthians where it says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you, The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. this isn't new. You've heard this before. We This is a, a common part of Scripture. But one thing that, that I think is important for us to remember sometimes is context. Is what, what was this coming from? What, why was this being shared this way? And this was pulled from a letter that was written. This was something where, where Paul was writing a letter to a, a church and, and he found it important enough to, to write these words, to, to convey this information to this church because this is something that's important. This is something that has value. This is something that is relevant, just like everything else that has been written, but, but this needs to be shared, I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me. Let's see In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the, excuse me, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's drink. Heavenly Father, just like, there was someone who told Paul how to participate in this. And then Paul was, was able to share this with the, the church in Corinth, God. We now come and we participate as well. Lord, we ask that there would be people that we have the opportunity to share with as well, that we're able to convey just what a sacrifice was given just how precious that sacrifice was. God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your blood that has been poured out, that covers us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.